this week on Missions Today. And I just felt like God was saying to me, Michael, you need to minister to people on both sides of the gun, uh, both those who are pulling triggers and those who are victims. And, and you need to lead the church to have an impact in this skyrocketing issue of gun violence. Chicago, no stranger to gun violence. And on Monday of this week, that violence struck Chicagoland again. Hi, I'm Colin Lambert, and this is Missions Today from Resource Global. For years, gun and gang violence has impacted the city of Chicago and surrounding communities. Just this week at a 4th of July parade, violence struck in Highland Park, a small city just north of downtown Chicago, again bringing attention to this ongoing problem in America's third largest city. In 2016, my guest today joined with other faith, business, civic, and government leaders to ask this question, how do we truly impact the violence that is rocking our city? Taking what he learned in the process, Pastor Michael Allen then co-founded Together Chicago, an organization committed to changing the violence dynamic by reaching one person, one heart at a time. By putting in place five core initiatives, Together Chicago is slowly but surely seeing lives of hopelessness being directed to hope. This week's program was recorded before the attacks on July 4th, but the messages contained here, I believe, are exactly what this and other cities around the country need as they think about dealing with this continuing problem. Michael, thanks for being with us today on Missions Today. Well, thanks, Colin. It's good to be with you. Thanks for having me. I know that everybody always has a, has a wonderful story to tell about how God intersected their lives. Tell us a little bit about your background. Colin, I grew up in the island nation of Jamaica in a Christian home, and uh, we began attending church probably when I was in the womb. And, but I didn't really understand the gospel until after coming to America. In 1977, our family immigrated to Fort Lauderdale, where I finished growing up, and it was in a Nazarene church in Fort Lauderdale where I really first understood the gospel and my need for the gospel. We had a, a visiting preacher, evangelist, that preached the gospel in that service. And I I went forward at the prompting of my aunt, who sat next to my cousin and I in church, and she encouraged us to go forward and, and learn more about this gospel. And uh, at the age of about nine or ten years old, I trusted Christ for the first time. Did you ever at that point or in the years close to that, think about going into ministry? Was that ever in your mind? Did you have other thoughts about what your career was going to look like? That's a great question. I I did not, but but I, as I look back over my life, I realized that I just wanted to be the best Christian that I could be. And when I began sensing a call to ministry, I didn't really realize that it was any different than just being a Christian. And then I took a, a spiritual gift inventory questionnaire, and that really helped to solidify for me that the passions that I had were extraordinary, uh, and I wanted to really dedicate my life to full-time Christian ministry. At that time, I thought that it would be pastoral ministry for the rest of my life, and, and I certainly have been in the pastorate for many years until recently when God directed my passions and attention to this new area of ministry outside of the pastorate, in a sense, outside of the local church, although certainly alongside the local church. 
And so, I mean, I, I love to share the gospel with people. I love to read and study the Bible. I love to teach and preach, but I love to see God's Word transforming the church so that the church can then transform community. And so that's where uh, these two things sort of collided for me uh, in, in recent years. Where did that move, that passion take you that got you into the pastorate? Was that a slow process, a long process? How did God get you there? Yeah, so after high school, I went to technical school and got a degree in computer electronics. But I noticed that I, as, as soon as work was done, I wanted to be in the church. I wanted to, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night. I was at Evangelism Explosion uh, on Tuesday night. I was at Wednesday night prayer meeting. On Friday nights, I would lead groups of, of peers, single adults, down to the Fort Lauderdale Strip, which are the, the beach area, to share the gospel late at night, Friday nights, Saturday nights. I just was consumed after my working hours with just all things related to, to church life. And, um, and so one day I was driving down on I-95 in my car servicing computers, which is what I did for a living at that time, my first career. And, and, and I hear clearly in my spirit, God say to me, Michael, I don't want you fixing computers anymore. I want you fixing hearts and, and lives of people. Uh, the word of God and the souls of men are gonna be around forever. Those are the only two things that's gonna last. Everything else will be destroyed. So invest the rest of your life uh, with the word of God and the souls of men. And uh, that, that, that really was a clarion call to me. And within two weeks, I, I put in my two-week resignation and went to Bible college at Miami Christian College at the time, which, as you might know, is now known as Trinity International University, South Florida campus. It's an incredible story to see how God has moved in your life, and it, and it's amazing to see uh, those paths that He takes. Some people that I've interviewed, they it, in those early early days, no, I am I am set to 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 follow the Lord and to serve Him wherever. It could be a missionary, could be an organization. Others like you, you've you've kind of got a career going, and then all of a sudden, God says. Uh, we're going to do something a little different here. What was your reaction to that message from the Lord? Were you shocked, surprised, thrilled? I was surprised, but I was also thrilled. And I went to talk with my pastor, uh, Dr. O.S. Hawkins at the time, who was the pastor at First Baptist Church, Fort Lauderdale. And I went to talk to him. I said, O.S., I don't know what's going on, but I think God's calling me to ministry. And, and here's my spiritual gift inventory result. And and I just love being at church, and, and, and I love talking to people about the Lord and about the Word. And, and Ois's response was this. He says, Michael, he says, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. But if you can't be happy doing anything else, then ministry must be for you. And uh, that was his counsel to me. And I remember uh, that's what really sent me to, the, to my office to resign from, from my job. And, uh, and then, you know, going into Bible college to pursue ministry. And so, but my father, interestingly, my father was not thrilled. My mother was thrilled. She said, she revealed to me at that time. She said, you know, I, I, when you were born of all the kids, I have an older brother and a younger sister. She said, when you were born, I, God just prompted me to commit you and devote you to the Lord. Um, just like Samuel was devoted to the Lord. She never told me until that time 
And, um, and maybe she didn't want to put undue pressure on me. But when I went to tell my parents that, that God, I felt God called me to ministry and what Ois had told me, my mom revealed that to me. My, my father was at first a bit disappointed because he thought I should go on to get my MBA and sort of get the business side of the technology industry under my belt. Um, and so he wasn't uh, excited about this announcement, but he later um, realized my calling, my gifting, and how God was using me. And he came around and you know, later just expressed his, his pride and joy in the decision and how God was working in my life. Oh, that's great. You spent many years in the pastorate. Maybe share two or three things that you took away from your years pastoring a local church, and then we'll get to what's happening at uh, your organization now. Yeah, well, one thing that really stands out to me is something that uh, Pastor Erwin Lutzer told me, which I've discovered to be very true. I asked him one time when I was doing an assignment for seminary, and I was interning at Moody Church. I said, Pastor Lutzer, what is the greatest joy in the ministry? He said, well, uh, the people, people getting saved, people getting baptized, people joining the church, people getting married, having kids and serving the Lord, people, the people. I said, that's great. I said, Pastor Lutzer, what's the greatest challenge in a ministry? He said, oh, Michael, the people, the people, <laughs> people getting divorced and people walking away from the church and people gossiping and slandering and people, the people. And and then he said this, he said, you know, if, if it wasn't for the storm, the storm and the, and he says, the church is like, like Noah's Ark. Because if it wasn't for the, the storm on the outside, you couldn't stand the stench on the inside. And then much later, I, I read a book called They Smell Like Sheep you know, for pastors, just really helping us understand that the pastorate um, and God's people are sheep, and, and sheep are what God's Word says we are. You know, we are sometimes stubborn, we are sometimes uh, smelly, we are sometimes uh, just uh, not, not the sharpest or the wisest, and we do foolish things and get ourselves in, in all kinds of trouble. And yet our job as shepherds is to to love people, to be faithful in shepherding people and loving them and serving them uh, as we serve the Lord and love the Lord. So um, I think, you know, those are just words of wisdom that has really helped me to shepherd God's people well and to be faithful in that as long as God had me in that position. Understanding that people are, are kind of the blessing and the curse, as, as Dr. Lutzer uh, talked about. What do you think is the biggest challenge for the local church today from your perspective? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is trying to deal with a culture that has so radically changed in the last 20 years and has been changing, where we are no longer a people that think first. Uh, we're, we're a people that feel first. And so people's feelings are, there's more weight and validity to people's feelings as opposed to people's thinking. And therefore, for example, the whole sexual revolution that continues to, to evolve in our culture has come into the church, and people wake up one day and say, well, I feel like this, or I feel like that. Uh, I just learned about my kids telling me that there are some people that are called furries now because they, they identify as an animal. And so they dress like an animal, and they want people to refer to them as an animal. And, um, and that's crazy. And so people 
parents' feelings are more va are, are are of greater importance than whatever the truth is, the reality of uh, who they are. And I think that is seeping into the church like many other cultural issues. And the church has to grapple with that and understand how to love people while holding high the standard of God's truth as the measuring stick or the measuring rod for all things. And so that, I think, is probably the greatest challenge facing the church today. What would you say was your greatest blessing being a pastor in a local church? I think the greatest blessing was seeing God at work through the preaching and teaching of our ministry and through the making of disciples and seeing people's lives transformed and changed and seeing the church's impact in the local community. I remember one time I was walking through the uptown neighborhood and I was talking to a businessman there who was not a believer. And, and he said, you know, if your church disappeared, this whole community will feel it. We would feel the impact of your church's disappearance because your church is so involved in, 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 in such a, a vital part to this uptown community. And that's probably one of the greatest compliments that any unbeliever can give to the local church is that the church doesn't exist only for itself as if we were some uh, club uh, that is exclusive and, and, and not, not welcoming of, of people in the community. But the church is there for everyone. And while we gather as believers to worship God and equip the believer, we must also be there for the hurting and the lost community around us and have an impact in that community, loving people where they're at and, and being a source of light and hope for them. So uh, I think that is really, um, that's been the greatest blessing is to see the church's impact in the local community. You obviously had a calling to the pastorate and now you have a new mission. Tell us how and why that mission began. Yeah, so our new mission, the new mission that God has given to me and to my co-founder, Dave Dillon, is a mission called Together Chicago. And this journey for me began about eight years ago when eight people were gunned down outside of our church. I was sitting in the back of the church. We were having our what we call our Monday night fellowship meal, uh, where we invite the, uh, the homeless and the poor to come into the church. And we prepare a hot meal and serve it to them with a smile and, and sit and eat with our guests. Our volunteers and staff do that every week. Anywhere from 100 people to 300 people could show up on any given Monday. And, uh, and we would serve each and every one. And before everyone goes down, we often have a little devotional time, a brief 15-minute devotional time in the sanctuary before folks are dismissed to go downstairs in the fellowship hall to eat. And I was sitting in the back of the sanctuary. We had a lay minister ministering the devotional time um, to the people, our guests. And I heard the rapid sound of what I thought at first was fireworks. So those are probably not fireworks. They're probably gunshots because I even felt the concussion in my chest. I walked outside, the, opened the church door and looked outside and I saw five people on the ground bleeding. Uh, blood was literally pooling at the church steps. And I called uh, 911 and then I tweeted, pray for Uptown Baptist Church, blood pools at church steps. And I went down and, and, and spoke and tried to attend to the people that were there until 
the ambulances came. And one person who I believe was the intended target of that drive-by shooting, he was shot in the head and uh, died within 48 hours. And then the other four people had flesh wounds that, that healed and, um, and they, they survived. But that shooting, somehow God would not let me get over that shooting. Um, it was not the first shooting that I had heard or, or witnessed in Uptown or Rogers Park where I live. But for some reason, that one, God just wouldn't let me get over it. And I, I called a friend of mine, Vance Henry, in the mayor's office, and I said, Vance, you got to get me some actionable information. I know you've heard about the shooting at our church. Uh, we had a huge prayer gathering at the church a few days after that. Uh, pastors from all over the city came uh, to pray and that prayer vigil. And, um, and I just felt like God was saying to me, Michael, you need to minister to people on both sides of the gun, uh, both those who are pulling triggers and those who are victims. And, and you need to lead the church to have an impact in this skyrocketing issue of gun violence. And so that was eight years ago. And I began asking lots of questions like, why, why is gun violence such a big issue in Chicago? Why is it on the rise? Why are young black and brown men pulling triggers and killing each other? It's as if it was a genocide. You know, why, why is that? I mean, here we are in the, you know, the, the 2000s, right? It was probably at that time, 2010, 12, 13, 14, right around there. At a time in our country where we had much more much more freedoms than ever before, much more opportunities, financial opportunities, much more educational opportunities than ever before in our history for minorities. And yet, these two groups, minority groups, African-Americans, Latinos in particular, they were exterminating each other, turning the guns on each other like never before. And I just, it, that just bugged me. And I thought, there's, there's somebody has to do something, and I, I, I didn't know who or what, and it's as if God tapped me on the shoulder and said, Michael, what about you? What are you going to do, and how are you going to lead the church to get involved in this issue and try to be part of the solution instead of just a, a, a stander by and, and watching this unfold? And so really, I began asking lots of questions, and uh, Vance got me in front of a guy named Chris Millette, who used to work for the network of safe communities. And uh, Chris, you know, allowed me to, to into his circle of influence. And, and he was doing a great job. He was running a ministry, really not a ministry because it wasn't a Christian ministry, but he was running a program in Chicago that, that got to the heart of the violence and was directly ministering to the guys who were pulling triggers. And, um, and so Chris got me some training and I started going out with the police commanders and talking to the guys and getting them the help that they needed. And the more I, I did this work, Colin, the more I realized that these young men who are out there pulling triggers, they have a specific reason and rationale in their own minds as to why they choose to pick up a gun and shoot somebody. It's not just random act of violence. It's not senseless. It actually makes sense to them. And, and I also understood that these guys themselves were hurting. I realized that these guys, the, like the old adage says in, um, in counseling, it says, hurt people hurt people. 
And the more I, I sat and met these guys and sat down and talked to them and heard their own stories, their own lives, I realized these guys are little boys trapped in, in men's bodies who are filled with anger and rage and disappointment and hopelessness. And many of them just need somebody to come alongside and understand what they're going through and what they have been through and help them find a pathway out of this cycle of violence and pain uh, that, that, they, that they have inside of them and that they perpetrate in others and that others perpetrate on them. And so the, the more I learned about this work is the more I sense God saying, okay, your, your chapter of pastoral ministry inside the local church is done. And this is a new chapter for you, a new, a new mission. And, and this is what I want you to do. And that, and that was a, that was challenging um, for me to, to just step away from the pastorate because I never thought I would do anything else before I went into church ministry as a pastor, before I went to seminary, I asked at, at, when I was in Bible college, I would ask many of my professors and administrators the same question. Because I, 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 even then, I wondered about this. I, there was a verse that says, God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. And I would, I would meet professors and administrators who used to be pastors, who are now professors or administrators and college presidents and, and seminary presidents. And I thought, well, if, if God's called you as a pastor, how is it that now you're doing this? You know, And so I listened to their responses and some of them made sense to me and others uh, didn't really make sense and but then I found myself many many years later making that transition from the pastorate when and because I understood my calling as a pastor and now I was leaving that pastorate you know to lead this nonprofit ministry um, ministering to to gang members and so on and trying to reduce gun violence and increase thriving communities so there's a sense in which I still pastor people, um, but it's not in a traditional sense inside the local church. Su such important and powerful work you have going on. Uh, give us an idea of uh, the focus of your organization. What types of things do you do to, to help make a difference in these communities? Yeah, so when we started the ministry of Together Chicago, we sat down and spoke to a lot of leaders, a lot of influential leaders, both in the police department and city hall, in churches, community leaders, uh, gang members themselves, asking them, what is it that drives the violence? And the more we listened to those various groups of people and this listening tour that we did for several months, several things came to the fore. And one of the things is, for example, education. There's something called the school to prison pipeline. So we developed a strategy and initiative to address the educational issues with kids who are prone to drop out of school, join gangs and commit crimes. So we wanted to cut off that school to prison pipeline and intersect those young people before they go through that transition of becoming hopeless and dropping out of school, joining gangs and committing crimes. So we, we partnered schools with churches in their community and we recruit volunteers, send them into the schools to, to tutor the kids and mentor their parents. Because we realize we can't just focus on the kids, we have to focus on the parents as well and try to repair and, and encourage the family 
so that um, the whole family is affected because, you know, the kids, if we just spend a couple of hours a week with these kids, they're going back home to broken homes and dysfunctional homes. And what can we do to really strengthen the entire family? And that's our school initiative. Education, mentoring, even family care, all wrapped up in that first core initiative of Together Chicago. Incredible to hear Pastor Allen's story of a shooting at the church house steps and how God used that to create this organization that's now impacting hundreds, if not thousands, of young people around Chicagoland. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program today, this is the first of a two-part series. Next week, we're going to pick up right here and learn about the other four initiatives of Together Chicago. And get ready, we're going to hear some amazing stories of changed lives right on the streets of Chicago. Michael's mission, his calling to this project is important and significant, but it's also, I believe, a model of what could happen in cities across the country that are feeling the ravages of violence. Now, as I also mentioned early on today, this program was recorded before the shooting on July 4th in Highland Park, Illinois, a small suburb of Chicago. I want to encourage you to be praying for those who lost loved ones, for those who were injured, for those who should never have had to see things like they saw that day, for the children rocked by the trauma of that day, and for all the first responders there. That said, let me also gently remind you that almost every weekend in Chicagoland, there are mass shootings and injuries. Already over 300 murders so far this year, over 1,200 shootings. Pray with us, with Michael, that this violence will end. Next week, part two of this conversation here on Missions Today. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, leave a review on iTunes, and if you have feedback from me, email me, clambert at missionstoday.com, a production of Resource Global.